Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 33 are going to uh, continue us in this series out of these four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just endeavoring to ask ourselves questions from the text regarding being disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus, talking and thinking about the local church's role in disciple-making, and, uh, and really just to share this journey and experience this together. Um, today's text, and one of the things I'll do today and occasionally throughout this series of sermons is some weeks we'll just have a decent amount of text and I'll keep a lot of my comments to a minimum. That may be a little what we do today just because we have so much text to get through, but I do want to kind of tie it all together and show how it all uh, is integrated. And so today's text is one I preached on previously and in one in which I would say probably several of you are familiar, uh, but if you're not, no worries. Uh, this is actually a fantastic introduction to what Jesus is doing through the telling of parables, if you've ever heard of that. Uh, Jesus tells a lot of parables, and this is a great introduction to what he's actually accomplishing through the telling of the parables. So let's go ahead and start in verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, again, uh, Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. And so he got into a boat on the sea, and he sat down. And while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. In other words, to plant seed. Uh, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't deep. Now when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit, that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Now when he was alone, those around him, with him were the 12, and they asked him about the parables. And he answered them, the secret of the kingdom of God. And by the way, whenever Jesus talks about the secret of the kingdom of God or the secret or the mystery of the gospel as we see later in the Bible, it's not really talking about it in terms of an existing secret and an existing mystery in as much as a mystery secret now being revealed. Okay, And so we got to remember that it's actually now being revealed. It's not a secret that remains a secret. It's a secret of the kingdom of God that is now, in fact, being revealed um, through the Spirit of God, activating hearts to hear and understand it. Um, so the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables so that they may indeed look, and so that is an intention, that it may inspire a curiosity that they would look, but yet not perceive always. Uh, they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Now, then he said to them, don't you understand the parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? 
And then he begins to explain. This is one of the few parables we have just an outright overt explanation of what he is talking about. And even then, some of us will walk away from it not knowing or not understanding all of what it might mean. Um, but we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, he said to them, don't you understand the parable? How, when, how then will you not understand all of the parables? The sower sows the word or the gospel. The sower is sowing the gospel message. Some are like the, so, the word or the gospel sown on the path. When they hear it, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like the seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the gospel word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They are short-lived. When, when distress or persecution comes because of the gospel, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, hear the gospel, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. They choke the gospel and its intended effect, and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground, they hear the word, they welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when, when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. And just finishing off in verse 33 as a good end, book, book end to what we're reading here. He was speaking the word to them. He was telling them the gospel with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Um, <clears throat> I've preached plenty of times on the sower and the soils. Um, and I've preached on the mustard seed, and I've preached on 
light and using your light, um, bringing it to bear. Uh, but as a complete unit, I really have not um, dealt with this, but it really is the more you read through this and the more I become convinced, the longer I've been preaching, much more of the Bible than we give credit is meant to be read as a unit um, together because it's kind of, it's kind of uh, interpreting and um, coming full circle on itself. And so he starts off with saying, I'm talking in parables, and then it ends this section saying he taught in parables so that, they, uh, uh, so that they would understand the word or spoke the gospel about the gospel in these parables. Um, one of the things about this text or these groupings of parables and what is said about them, um, there are incredible depths to be mined when you start to take and see things as entire units of scripture um, and to see them kind of playing off of one another. Um, and there's a lot here for us to explore and to receive as instruction for becoming and growing and making disciples of Jesus. Um, and so without, um, without shortchanging all the things that could be said, just want to remind you again, I'm not going to say everything that can be said today, but I do want to share a few things of this unit, of this interconnected disciple lessons and the themes that seem to be emerging from these parables and Jesus' explanation of the parables. Um, so without further ado, theme one uh, that we're seeing here is that um, he immediately lets his disciples know, and that is if you are a follower of Jesus here today, by extension, he's letting you know, uh, not just the disciples of that day, he's letting you know uh, the nature of of humanity or of just human nature and human nature's responses to the gospel message. Um, now, this may be very intuitive for many of you just to understand how people respond uh, to the gospel, its message, its nature, its demands, um, the grace nature of it. Um, but if it is not, Jesus in these texts, again, in the most overt way with the seeds and the sower and the soil, explains quite thoroughly just the nature of humanity and how we respond to the gospel. He starts with that falling along rocky path that was snatched away uh, by the devil, by Satan. Uh, so he's talking about principalities, and the power of, of the air, as Paul calls it, he's talking about the darkness that definitely resides in this world. Spiritual forces that are at work uh, that are, have their root uh, found uh, in the person and work of Satan. Um, then he goes on uh, and he talks about uh, how some receive the word, uh, they receive it with joy, uh, but uh, when the sun comes up, it withers because there's no root. In other words, it hasn't really implanted itself or rooted itself down deeply into the gospel. Like on the surface level, the gospel is very pleasing to them, and it sounds good, and it's a message that's almost unbelievable to them. 
and beautiful, and so there's a reception of it on some level and a joy of it on some level, but there is actually no depths plumbed into uh, the full scope of and implications of the gospel. And so as a result, it leaves them subject to being withered by the sun, which is described in, in various life trials and circumstances and persecutions and other types of things that might cause um, the, the gospel message to basically wither away in what it brought us originally, and that is joy and um, excitement. And then we see that there is soil um, that is... Uh, that also has thorns occupying it. And as a result of growing up amongst the thorns, it gets choked out. Um, in our world, it would be the same thing as having a lot of Dallas grass and, and crab grass growing around your good, um, your good grass and it basically choking it out as a result. And he says, basically, there is going to be worries in this life represented by thorns. There's going to be uh, pleasures of this life. Uh, there are going to be uh, things of this world that are attractive, that are desirous. Uh, they act as thorns, uh, as a foil uh, to whatever drew us to the gospel message, and it will uh, choke us out. So, um, so he begins by just saying, you know, it is a disciple of Jesus. It's important for us to have a clear doctrine of human nature, and how human nature interacts with the things of God. Uh, in this case, the ultimate uh, gift of God in his gospel. And so, really, he's teaching in here doctrine of human nature, like just how we are. Um, theme two we see emerging, um, and this is uh, found in verses 21 through 25. Uh, there's a lot that's being said here, and, and I'm not going to really talk about all of it, but what I do want to just emphasize is he is uh, reminding us of how um, the unsparing mentality or the unsparing approach uh, that he desires of a disciple uh, when it comes to bringing the gospel or telling the gospel or proclaiming the gospel. Um, he says you don't, you don't hide lights. That's not something you do. Uh, in fact, you use your light. If you were here last week, um, either in our morning service or in um, our uh, family meeting we had that evening, you know uh, that we just reminded ourselves that there is a light that someone has within them that is the light of Christ when they are a follower and truster of Jesus. And so a lot of the times it's not that the light's not there, but rather the light is dim, it's obscured, uh, it's not seen real well by others. And there are reasons for that. And what this passage is reminding us is that it is actually a battle, a fight, to actually try to uh, uh, get that light that's in you to shine clearly, to basically utilize it in the way it was meant to be used. It's there, uh, but we so often let the windows of your soul, if you will, get cloudy and shrouded to where no one can see it. And so oftentimes the battle is for us to identify the kinds of things that are in fact clouding up or hiding the light within us that is just that was designed to be bright and shining and to be seen by all. And he mentions those who are attentive to that 
uh, they actually are given even more light to shine, effectively. They're given more of the gospel to share and more opportunity to share the more they use what the Lord has given them in the light of Jesus uh, with the gospel. Then, um, theme number three we see here is um, just the incredible patience and waiting that is needed uh, when being a, a disciple of Jesus and a teller of the gospel. Uh, he talks about the mustard, or not the mustard seed, but the, the growing seed and the scattering of the seed and how it produces a crop and how he wakes up after day and night and it's grown and he knows not how. This is a parable reminding us that it is the Lord who causes things to grow. And so we can scatter seed all we want and, and we can understand the nature of human nature. And so he wants you to understand human nature. But what's interesting that, that what I do, and, and I don't want to project this on you, is out of a sense of desiring to control, I will take that knowledge of how people operate of human nature and want to find ways to massage and manipulate uh, them to be able to circumvent that rocky soil or to circumvent um, the, the things or circumvent the enemy snatching the gospel or to circumvent. And, and so I, I tend to want to meddle as much as I possibly can so as to ensure that the human nature he's already talked about in the parable of the seeds and the soil, uh, the, the, the bad things that happen there, that they don't happen. But the mustard seed, or not the mustard seed, but the parable of the, of the sowers um, further on the text reminds us that, hey, while you're scattering seeds, be aware you don't actually grow the seeds. Uh, you are not the one who can ensure that they will actually sprout and grow and come up. And what this reminds us in this theme, and again, this is, this is literally using the same type of metaphor as the original parable of the, the seed and the sower and the soils, and uh, giving us another perspective on it, and reminding us of the waiting the dependence of a disciple when it comes to gospel fruit. A disciple of Jesus is not a disciple of the culture that says, I want it now, uh, and, and I need it now. And that's what gets us into trouble trying to manipulate and cajole and control. A disciple of Jesus is patient. A disciple of Jesus is persistent in prayer and knows that it is the Lord that grows things. And so the disciple of Jesus, understanding that, understands the dependence and therefore does continue to pursue the Lord in prayer and does continue to wait and to see what the Lord may do. And then finally, uh, we have, uh, well, not finally, but um, the last theme I want to rest on before we uh, we, I'm sorry, the last theme I want to hit on before we actually rest on a fifth theme has to do with the parable of the mustard seed. Uh, and this is him reminding us that um, there is a perspective to have of, as a disciple of Jesus uh, that goes way beyond what you can see with your eyes and perceive with your senses. Oftentimes, if we were to be honest and, and, and just being real here, is when we engage in the activity uh, that the gospel provides for us, 
to bring its message to those in our lives, whether it's those who are far from God or whether it's those who actually already trust Jesus. And, and it's important to recognize that second category. Those who already trust Jesus, we're still bringing the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, and we're still bringing the gospel to one another on a daily basis. And it's important to recognize that even in that, no matter how small things seem, and, and that's, that's, a, that's an important lesson, oftentimes it's going to look small to us. Impact is going to look small. And, and that's not real attractive to our modern sensibilities. We want to make big impact. We want to be a part of something big and, and be a part of a, a, a movement and all that. And oftentimes, God works like the mustard seed in our world. And he works like the mustard seed in our own hearts. And it's painfully slow. And it's painfully painfully looks like non-progress a lot of times. But again, he says, although it looks like that, appearances are deceiving. It's actually that that grows into mammoth-sized fruit. And um, one of the things that is a good historical reminder of this, you go back through history and the history of God working and you, you end up on a lot of figures that you say these are, are big, big names within the history of God working in his people. But really, if you go back beyond them, how many really small, almost seemingly obscure occurrences that led to eventually that big figure and all the big things that occurred around him? The Exodus is one of the grandest events of the Bible. It's one of the most thorough expositions, actually, of the gospel and about what Jesus came to do and who he is. And yet, that Exodus event, which was so huge, had countless mustard seed events and people and micro-movements of God that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. Truth be told, this is why a lot of us struggle to get through portions of the Bible. Because it doesn't move along in the sense of a story that we want it to move along. Sometimes it moves along in increments that are incredibly small. But yet, they remind us, and should remind us, because some of us are going to go to our graves feeling like our lives and who we are and what we did was incredibly insignificant. But as many have mentioned, someone told the gospel to every great, well-known Christian that you've ever heard of throughout the centuries. And someone told them the gospel. And Go back in time, and you don't know any of the names of any of the people that led up to that person of whom's name you do know now. This is the nature of being a disciple. And this is what's so difficult. Many of us will labor and grow in small increments and labor in obscurity. And he reminds you, though, that there's a perspective. And it's a theme here, that there's a perspective long-term. 
Just because nothing is happening at the rate and speed you want doesn't mean it's necessarily rocky soil. See how he's kind of creating kind of a, he's kind of almost, not a corrective, but he's qualifying the original parable with additional parables to remind us of truths that a disciple really has got to believe in his heart regarding how the gospel works. Finally, the fifth theme, and this is the one where I want to end on today, and I really want to maybe sit down in for just a few minutes because I think it has a lot of potential for fruit in our souls today. Um, And that is um, not one that is necessarily pointed out by any particular text, but it's actually a different way of reading or a different angle of viewing the original parable in this text of the seed, the sower, and the soils. Many of us rightly look at this parable to understand what I mentioned previously, and that human nature is oftentimes going to see that the enemy is going to win and snatch the gospel message. Oftentimes, we are going to be, in fact, uh, shallow in root, and we're going to be withered and burned uh, by much in life. And many times, the people are going to be uh, choked out by the worries or the thorns of this life. What we don't often look at is when we see this, that there is actually within it also biases, um, weaknesses uh, of our own. Like, like there are ways in which our own soul seems to continually miss the gospel's work. Just because this text is oftentimes used as a reminder that some people are going to hear the gospel, but they're not really going to ever receive it, Um, Not really, even though it might seem so at first. This text is also for those who have heard the gospel, that the continual gospel work may actually be prevented by the weaknesses and biases that our hearts are dealing with either on a regular basis or maybe just in a point of time. In other words, let me say it this way. Some of us may be in a point in our life where the enemy is just unrelenting. And he is just attacking, attacking, attacking. And you feel it. You know that this isn't just the attacks of men. This isn't just the circumstance of life. This is demonic. Like there are things that are going on in your life that can only be ascribed to someone of the state of an enemy of your soul. And just simply knowing that fact is actually incredibly important to, to knowing that the gospel's work might be prevented as a result of that. And to know that actually gives you something of an awareness as to what to pray for or what to actually attack. You don't know how to go about attacking whatever is preventing the gospel's work in your life until you know it. And if you know that they're actually, your enemy has a face, it has a name, and in some cases it is the demonic, it is Satan who is marginalizing or minimizing the gospel and its work that it wants to do in us, 
making it maybe an afterthought to our forward-moving lives, which, by the way, that's one of the ways in which I see the enemy working in my life and many of my friends' life more than any, is that life just moves forward and he succeeds in making the gospel and its work just an afterthought to my day and to my week and to my life in general. And so knowing that, though, reminds you that it's not that we were are ever not a disciple. It is that at times our discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, sometimes is circumvented when the enemy marginalizes the gospel by another discipleship. We basically become a disciple of our enemy. And we, f- we are following him, maybe not in an overt way, not no, I'm going to follow the enemy into war, you know, not like that, but rather in a way that we're almost passively unresponsive to what he's doing to us. And so we're blindly following, unbeknownst to us maybe following. And so considering whether that bias or that weakness may be in our lives, we're not just told to understand that about people. We're told to understand this about ourselves, that we ourselves have a gospel that can constantly be marginalized and snatched from its work in our souls. Now, while on the surface, leading to the second explanation of the second seed, the second soil, I mean, while on the surface we might believe and are even grateful and joyful over the gospel as far as on a regular basis, Maybe we nonetheless struggle to last, like we struggle with perseverance. And and whether it's in a point in time you're struggling with perseverance, or maybe that's just your story. You just struggle to persevere, and you always have. This reminds you that while the enemy and while the rocky soil and the lack of rootedness may not have stolen the seed from having planted itself in and you becoming a truster and follower of Jesus, that there is an opportunity that the gospel's work can continually run up against a wall in your life because of the fact that you are struggling to persevere and that you peter out easily, whether it's by various difficulties in your life or by actual persecution or maybe by stresses. And so what this does when these things are overcoming us and overcoming the gospel's work in our lives, it's basically we are being made a disciple. Again, instead of a disciple of Jesus, we're becoming a disciple of our circumstances. A disciple of our circumstances, we react and respond to them and our circumstances basically as our new rabbi, as our new teacher and leader. And so... If you're one who is consistently maybe running up against frustrations in your life, um, stresses, um, one of the ways that we can act out, maybe we'll blow up at someone, maybe we will say angry words, maybe we will think angry thoughts. In that moment, we have now submitted and subjected ourselves to the circumstances and become a disciple of it. It's teaching us to respond and react to it and not respond and react to the gospel. And so just knowing that, again, alone, 
Knowledge is power, man, and, and the power of God when you go to him in prayer knowing exactly what it is, is preventing the gospel's work and knowing how to share with others what is preventing the gospel's work and what to pray for you. Again, incredible power in just realizing that about ourselves. Can I tell you, the most dangerous spot I will ever be in and you will ever be in if you are a follower of Jesus is believing that you are never in a spot where you not may not where you are being subjected to the discipleship of other things that are not Jesus. Uh, just simply believing that sets you up to actually become a subject and a disciple of another. Um, so so this, this, I love this, this, this parable, the sower, because it gives us not just the angle of thinking about others, but also just projecting this on ourselves overlaying the, the explanation of the seeds, the sower, and the soils against our own life. Uh, and I can't, go on, I can't finish without reminding us of this final seed that, fa- that falls on the ground. This might be the most dangerous of the seeds of all because it falls amongst the thorns, which are explained to be the worries of this life, uh, the pleasures or desires um, uh, regarding uh, the lies of our culture or our world, Um, They tend to eventually choke off the gospel's work, uh, any joy uh, and life change that the gospel offers. Uh, They don't produce fruit. And I see this happening. I see this happen in myself. I see this happen in others on a consistent basis. We live in a world and a land, specifically in the West, uh, where uh, we make, uh, this may be old-timey calling it this, but it's called the good life. Um, and the pursuit of uh, all that might make you happy, uh, which is a part of uh, just our American heritage. And oftentimes, these things can kind of get intermixed in an unhealthy way, and we become so enamored and so desirous of all that the life that we live in the West has to offer. Um, We can fall so in love with it uh, that it, it literally chokes off any kind of work that the gospel has, which, by the way, as we talked about last week, is a gospel of denying self, a gospel of sacrificing self, a gospel that knows that you will suffer. Um, This is the meaning of Jesus saying, if you're to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, you take up your cross and you follow me. Implications of that being that there is a self-denial, a suffering, and a sacrifice to be offered within following Jesus. And the truth is, it is easy to find the life that is avoiding self-denial, the life that avoids sacrifice, and the life that avoids suffering. That life is not hard to find and to pursue in our world. And you can be applauded for it in many cases and given rewards for it. But yet it is thorns and it chokes off the gospel's work, which one is counter to oftentimes the desires and the pleasures and the worries and the things that this life has for us. If the first seed that fell on rocky soil bids to make us a disciple of our enemy of Satan, and if the second seed bids us to become a disciple of our circumstances, um, reacting and responding to them, 
this final seed bids us to be a disciple of our culture, uh, to be, um, in the words of a, a guy who um, uh, I've been listening to a podcast of, uh, basically colonized by our culture and a disciple of it. And so having said this, I, I've shared this text for a very particular reason today, and that's to build off some things we talked about last week, both in the morning service services and then also that evening. And just to remind us that being a people who actually go to the Lord, which is a part of being a disciple, is now the way to the Lord has been freed and you have unmitigated access in prayer to the Lord. Um, the way Jesus is with us always is not only through prayer, but through the Spirit of God working in and through us and Him showing Jesus to us. And so simply identifying where you are maybe weak on a consistent basis. Do you feel like you are the one whose gospel work is always being snatched by the enemy? That he is constantly subjecting you to his discipleship? Or maybe it is circumstances that are the thing that continually come up over and again and seem to dominate you? Or maybe it is, in fact, the pleasures of this world. Maybe it is all this world has to offer, its culture and desires, and that is your weakness or that is your bias. Simply knowing and identifying what that is is actually a really good thing to do to continue to be a follower and disciple of Jesus, to overcome the other disciple-making entities that are vying for your soul. Just simply identifying it, naming it, saying it, and then praying to the Lord for yourself regarding where you are weak and where you are know that you always seem to break down, where you always seem to leak and the gospel does not seem to have its way in you. And then use that power of information and help others know how to pray for you. Um, last week, or maybe it was, yeah, it was last week, uh, in our CLC, we were just going walking around the room and sharing uh, just something to pray for. And, and, and that's just a good practice. And um, I think it's good to just, just kind of have free time to do that. Um, but one of the things that is also good is to consider the ways in which you know you continually get absolutely destroyed um, by the gospel's lack of work in your life. And behind every prayer request, and I'm, I'm in my mind right now, I'm just going through around our room and our house, um, I can identify one of these three things, one of these soils uh, that probably has the opportunity to really overcome any of those people who are offering their prayer requests. In fact, you can kind of lead it back to a lot of these things. What would it look like to be able to identify and name uh, even root causes uh, that might cause whatever your prayer request in the moment um, that might cause it to kind of go off the rails. Now, there's a reason why we ask for prayer for one another, and that's because we know that there's something, that there's a miss in our life um, or something possibly on the horizon that we fear or maybe are, have anxiety over. 
and to simply ask prayer for one another, not only for the thing, but also the thing behind the thing, can be actually incredibly informative and powerful and help us understand where one another is weak and how some of us actually share the same weaknesses. And that can be really an amazing bonding, uh, uh, bonding uh, thing for us in our sharing with one another. And this is, this is by the way, how I want to end. Um, I'm, I'm opening my device. Um, uh, on my device, um, we have something that we didn't talk about last week in either our early service or in our family services that night, uh, sharing the vision for our church. But I did tell you, I warned you in advance, I'm going to be unfolding some things over the next few months, um, ways in which we hope to continue to build off of um, our shared uh, forward mo- motion on uh, some of the, um, um, the disciplines of the Christian faith. And one of the ways in which um, we can actually continue and build upon last week is to emphasize the praying, not just for ourselves, but for one another. And what I've done today is hopefully in this shared not only just some basic stuff that we know is there, but also that a disciple knows where he is weak, where she is weak, and knows that much like those who are far from God, you can oftentimes do nothing about your situation. You need the power of the Lord to overcome your weaknesses. Where you are weak, he is strong. And oftentimes he wants you not only to pray for yourself, but to invite others in prayer for you. Um, and so we have an app that the, the staff and the elders have been using. Um, and if you're not an app person, if you write stuff out, that's fine. Uh, it's cool if you want to keep this tactile. But just know this. Um, there's an app called Echo. It's a prayer app. And um, we've just chosen it as the one that we're going to work with. But we actually keep all of our elder prayer requests secured on there on a private um, on a private stream that only the elders are allowed to see uh, and the staff are allowed to see. And then beyond that, we also have a stream that is for our church. And I got to wonder, what would it look like if we would began uh, really offering to one another ways to pray for one another um, in not a more public way, uh, but in a way that's still a little contained? Um, you still have to ask to be a part of the City View Church stream. Um, and so you have to be approved to get on it so you know it's, it's going to be secure and not just anyone can just grab a hold of it and see private or church, church information that you want the rest of your church to know but not necessarily all your neighbors to know. Um, so uh, Echo, prayer app, go looking for the City View Church stream. And if it is something that the Lord has really just just maybe stirred in your heart this morning. Maybe a way that you can just practically move forward with what we've talked about is either go to your CLC and share this prayer about your weakness, your bias, knowing that you desire the gospel to have a more full work in your life and that you have things that have not uh, or have basically stood in the way and prevented. Or if... Um, or if you think it's something that would benefit the entire church to pray for for you, then go download the app and go upload your prayer. And friends, you can see one another's prayer requests and we can pray for one another.
Again, these are just tools. They're nothing more, nothing less. Uh, but they're a way for you to actually act on the fact that you know knowledge about how you're wired and what's preventing the gospel's work in your life. Don't let it stop here. Don't let it stop at just mere knowledge. Don't just say, ah, oh, I feel more self-actualized. I know myself better. That's actually not the way the gospel wants to finish this work in you. He wants you to go to the Lord and in your weakness ask for his strength and go to the people of God to, to pray on your behalf as well. Uh, whatever that looks like, whether it's in a smaller community, whether it's sharing in the larger church community, I encourage you uh, to, uh, to consider those things as a way to live out uh, what we've heard in the scriptures today. And, and my phone just buzzed, um, which means that one of you is requesting access to the, the, prayer, the prayer group. So um, good job, whoever did that. Um, I got to remember to turn off my buzzer when I get up here next time, though. Um, so um, with that said, I just want to say a word of prayer for us and just ask the Lord bless um, our time of just responding to the scripture today. And, and it is it is not lost on me that some of you may have responded to an entirely different aspect of what we covered today, but I wanted to drill down on something we don't usually look at and that how the soils actually still affect us and our lives.